Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 42 and 43 called The Spiritually Deaf and Blind. ever have a question about God's love, then take a fresh look at the cross, because the cross is God's love on display. That's what it means in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love. And so God says, in light of this, do not fear, verse 5, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, verse 6, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Many see this as a worldwide call. So moving, it includes, I think, the thought of Babylon, but moves beyond that to the call of God's people from all over the world. And guess what happened in the last 60 years or so? God began to call his people from all over the world. And it was not because there was a major messianic revival that brought a ton of Jewish people to Jesus Christ. That has not yet happened. But he called the people from all over the world and Jews have been flooding in to the nation of Israel and they have not even been in that land from the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 until March of 1948 and they recaptured Jerusalem In 1967, brothers and sisters, that's 45 years ago. That's in your lifetime. He is regathering his people, and Jew after Jew after Jew is pouring into the land of Israel. It is blossoming again, as it has become, I think, in the top three exporters of fruit, and or at least fruit, all over the world. And that has happened in many, if not most, of your lifetime. So this is pointing beyond just the return of Babylon, although the return to, uh, excuse me, from Babylon to Jerusalem. The Exodus is a picture of it from Egypt uh, to the promised land. The move from Babylon back to Jerusalem is a picture of it. But the ultimate fulfillment will be in the last days in what's called the eschaton. And God says this, everyone who is called, verse 7, by my name, And whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made, bring out the people who are blind, there it is again, and we'll be introduced to a courtroom scene in a moment, even though they have eyes and the deaf, even though they have ears. Everyone who's called by my name, verse 7, what were you created for? Look at your Bible. What is the purpose for God creating you? He created you for His glory. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created for God's glory? It means that you and I are a walking advertisement for God's grace. That's what Ephesians 1 teaches, that we would be to the praise of God of the glory of His grace, that people would look at your life and say, God, you're a Christian? 
Man, I knew you back in the day. As a matter of fact, it's still the day. What are you doing in the church? I know who you are. I, know, I partied with you, whatever. And you can say, yeah, you did. And now I am a walking trophy of the grace of God. That's how you give God glory, by the way. You walk around telling others about the grace of God. You were created for the glory of God. What does glory mean? It's weighty. It's significant. It's valuable. You are being changed from glory to glory. One day you will have a glorified body. One day you will be in a city whose light is the glory of God. And God has built you for eternity. He's put it in your heart in the book of Ecclesiastes. Eternity is in our hearts. And when the glory of God is housed in these weak temples as they are, God makes us His temple. He makes us for His glory to dwell in so that it might become a testimony of what? The truth of God and the gospel. That's why you exist. And until you're filled with that glory, all you will be living on is idols. And remember last Wednesday when we studied idols, what did we say about an idol? It's emptiness because it has no glory. It has no light. It's dead. And anybody who worships an idol becomes like an idol. And the ones who worship their God, who is a God of glory, what do they do? They become a person that shines that glory and they begin to stand out in a world filled with darkness. So here's the courtroom scene, and this is the, the la- latter part of this particular study. Bring out the people who are blind, bringing them now into a courtroom scene, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears, pointing back to the nations, uh, to the, excuse me, the nation of Israel, even though they have ears. And then, notice who's with them. All the nations have gathered together in order, verse 9, that the peoples may be assembled who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things. Let them present their witnesses, here's the courtroom scene, that they may be justified or let them hear and say, it is true. So God now summons Israel, the deaf and the blind. Remember, we've been talking about that all along. And all the other nations, and it's like they sat down in the courtroom and Isaiah is the court reporter. And he's looking. And he's going, here come the deaf and the blind people. And God, guess what? God's calling in witnesses. And guess who he has on his side? A bunch of deaf and blind people. And Isaiah is saying, are you sure, Lord? And being the court reporter, you, I know you can do better than this. I mean, I love deaf and blind people, but they can't do very well in terms of giving testimony. Are you sure that's who you want to call in? And then the nations all come in and the nation of Israel, the deaf and blind ones, were supposed to be a light to all the other nations. And so then they sit in the courtroom and they're looking at Israel saying, aren't those the people that were supposed to be telling us about the judge? (laughs) I don't know if you feel the weight of that. But it's kind of like the world sits there in the courtroom and I don't know if there's ever going to be a day like this. But we've all heard some stories like it where some unbeliever might say to you, why didn't you tell me you were a Christian? Or you have stories like people work at a company for years and then they both find out they're both Christians. And they say, I didn't know. And you say, I didn't know. And why didn't you know? Because we didn't say anything. 
because we were being secret agent Christians at our workplace. That's a sad commentary. And here they're all seated in the courtroom and they've gathered together, verse 9, and the peoples are assembled, the Jew and the Gentile, and who among them, the question comes, can declare and proclaim to us the former things? Can any of these gods and idolaters and nations, can they present their witnesses that they may be justified? Or let them hear and say, it's true, amen, yeah, that's right. But God says to the deaf and blind, verse 10, Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses declares the Lord. You're my servant whom I have chosen in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. He's brought in the the deaf and the blind witnesses into the courtroom and Isaiah's sitting there saying, Lord, are you sure? And God says, I'm sure. They are my witnesses, those deaf and blind ones. They're my people. And here's what they need to understand. Reformation is a faith grounded in evidence and fact, not just feelings. You're my witnesses and you're the ones that I've chosen, verse 10, that you may know, I want you to know me. I want you to believe me. That mostly means in Hebrew, the idea of trusting what a person says. I want you to understand that I am. That's Exodus 3.14 language. I am. Jesus even made that claim. I am. Before me, there was no God formed. The room, remember, in the earlier scene was filled with the people's idols. And God says, there will be none after me. I am it. That's what you can give witness to, Israel. I know you've been messing with these idols. I know if you look around the room, you could say, yeah, we worship Baal, and yeah, we worship Molech, and that guy's holding another deity that we worship. But God says, I want you to be my witnesses now and understand in this setting with everybody listening, there's nobody else like me. I'm not some God that came from a genealogical tree. I didn't... You know, I don't have junior deities and and junior partners and second lesser gods. There was no God formed before me. Listen to the verse. There will be no God formed after me. I am it. And this is what you are a witness of. I was there from the beginning and you are my witnesses. And you you can see the people in the courtroom going, Amen. My eyes are opening a little bit. Amen. Yeah, we know the stories. Yeah, we've seen your hand. Yeah, we can see those idols for what they are. The gods of the pagan world were often spoken of as formed, created, coming into being. Think of mythology stories where somebody has a son and then there's a brother god and there's all these arguments and family fighting. They came into being. They stand in a genealogical relationship to one another. But the Lord, this is very important for your understanding of God, proceeds from no one. He is succeeded by none. He exists from the very beginning. He is without superior. He is without inferior. He is the only God and there is nobody else. So I have a Jehovah's Witness at my door. In their Bible, they translate, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Uh, regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe. They have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. So I have a Jehovah's Witness at my door. In their Bible, they translate, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Uh, it doesn't say that in the, the best translations, just say the Word was God, but theirs says the Word was a God. So there they are at my door. This guy's been a Jehovah's Witness since 1962. So I say to him, well, okay, if your translation calls Jesus a God, and I, then I took him to John 17, 3, it says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So I said, okay, if Jesus is a God, but there's only one true God in John 17, 3, then what is Jesus if he's a God in your translation? Uh, he's a second lesser God. He's not almighty God. He's, so is he a God or not? But there's only one true God, right? Yeah. So if there's only one true God and Jesus isn't the true God, then what else could he be? Uh, he was the first great creation of God. God made him before he made anything else. And then he made everything else through Jesus. Okay, so he's the first great creation of God, so he's a junior God who then becomes the creator of all other things, right? Right. But if there's only one true God, then what must every other God be? There's only one other category, sir. If there's only one true God, brothers and sisters, what must every other God be? A false God. God says, there's no, but, there's no God formed before me. I didn't make one do you read the verse? After me, I didn't make a junior partner, just a little lesser God. There is no other God. So you come to the inescapable conclusion in your Bible 
that the three persons of the Trinity are the one true God, whether or not you can put it on a blackboard and satisfy yourself or not. Amen? That is Isaiah 43.10. And that's what we need to understand. Now we'll finish it up. Now God not only says that he's the only true God, no God formed before him, nor will there be one after him, no, uh, nothing like the pagan gods. But then notice the next verse, 43.11. I, even I am the Lord, and there is no what? Savior beside me. Jesus isn't one way. Jesus isn't even the best way. Jesus is the only way. There is no other Savior but one. And that hasn't changed from the Old to the New Testament. The same God still saves, and He's the only Savior. And if you don't have Him, guess what? There's no secondary salvation. There's no, uh, this is, you know, what's the modern phrase? All roads lead to God. You know, it doesn't matter what road you come in on, as long as you get there. You know, you can go through Buddha, you can go through Zoroaster, you can go through Enlightenment. Maybe you even think you're a god and you'll just descend back and merge into the Great One. And What? Well, in one sense, I'd say all roads lead to God. But you'll be judged upon the road you come in on. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what? No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, either he is the way or he's not. And God says, 12, it is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. When, and there was no strange or foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Listen to this. Every idol, if you don't toe the line, demands its pound of flesh. If you are serving the idol of career, for example, and you don't sacrifice to that idol as it demands, your career is over. If your idol is political utopianism, and you don't sacrifice to that idol as it demands, your hope-for world will be shattered. If your idol is a perfect body, and you don't sacrifice to that idol as it demands, your self-image is devastated. C.S. Lewis had an interesting quote. He said, it sounds cool when people say, I'm searching for God. It sounds so spiritual. What are you doing? I'm searching for God. He said, what we really don't like is when we find him. That doesn't sound as cool. What? Because then when we find him, we realize, hey, the God of the Bible, those Sunday school stories I heard growing up, it's true. He's God. Now what? Now I'm not on a search for God anymore. Yeah? Now you have to deal with who he really is, and that doesn't sound as cool. Because now you've got to play by his rules. That's kind of how our world thinks. But God says, even from eternity I am he, 13. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, your Goel. This would be a picture of a relative who would save a struggling family member. The Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I have sent to Babylon and will bring them all down as fugitives. They look so strong, but even the Chaldeans into the ships in which they rejoice. Their noisy ships literally will become their getaway cars when God sends Cyrus from Persia. 
I am the Lord, last verses. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. That's what they failed to do is make him king. Thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot 17 and the horse, the army and the mighty men. They will lie down together and not rise again. God will destroy them. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, 19, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beast of the field, I think pointing now to the thousand-year reign of Christ, will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, ostriches, I can speak, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people I have formed for myself, what will they do? they will declare my praise. What is the sacrifice that pleases God? It's the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And one day, the people of Israel's eyes will be opened. Remember the prophecies? You think of Zechariah and other places. And they will look on him whom they pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And their eyes will be open and they will say, you are our king. And they will worship him. Just as the apostles did. What is the worship that God wants? Final quote. If our churches don't pray, if people don't have an appetite for God, what does it matter how many are attending the services? How would that impress God? Can you imagine the angel saying, quote, Oh, your pews, we can't believe how beautiful they are. Up here in heaven, we've been talking about them for years. Your sanctuary lighting is so clever. The way you have the steps coming up to the pulpit, it's wonderful. I don't think so, says Jim Cimbala. If we, want, if we don't want to experience God's closeness here on earth, why would we want to get, go to heaven anyway? He is the center of everything there. If we don't enjoy being in his presence here and now, then heaven would not be heaven for us. Why would he, would he send anyone there who doesn't long for him passionately here on earth? You've been listening to The Spiritually Deaf and Blind Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 42 and 43. If you miss any part of today's program, you can listen to part one and two when you follow Walk in Truth on the free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, a great prayer to praise. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Oh, Lord, give me ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. To me, because I am your church. I'm part of your bride. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. What a great prayer. And I think that's something to be thinking about as we conclude this section in the book of Isaiah. And for those of you who are listening, and maybe you would say, you know what, I've never quite gotten it yet. 
I'm not sure if I fully understand or I fully seen or, or maybe more to the point, fully embraced what the Lord has. Uh, you know, it all starts with Jesus, my friend. And opening your eyes to know him, to have spiritual 2020 vision, and to say, I, I believe that you are the king, the Messiah, God in human flesh, Lord of all. And I'm going to trust you as my Lord and my Savior and my King. Do it today. Trust in him today for your salvation. Remember, if he can help you in any way, it's contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. Well, I want to take a moment here to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor. And just so you know what's going on here in the church in Corona, we are teaching through the incredible book of Philippians on Sunday mornings and Exodus on Wednesday nights. So rich, so beautiful, so deep. And I'll tell you, uh, a loving congregation with powerful worship, stuff for the kids, just a lot going on. want to invite you to our Wednesday night service at 7 p.m., Remember, we have a, con- a concurrent youth group that happens. Now, you can find out information and directions when you go to walkintruth.com. Click on the church tab. That's walkintruth.com. We'll see you right here tomorrow as we talk about revival. God bless you. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events as well please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. Donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 43 and 44 called Keys to Revival. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.